Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Impeachment front and center in the coming week as the House Judiciary Committee sends two articles to the full House for consideration. It seems to be a foregone conclusion that the House, controlled by Democrats, will impeach the president, but that the Senate, controlled by Republicans, will acquit. We'll get into the politics of that a little bit later. Plus, a federal agency coming down on Boeing and remembering a fantastic reporter who spent time here at Como News. All of that on the way on the Como Politicast. But first, back to impeachment. Como's Elisa Jaffe got some expert analysis. Democrats in Congress have catapulted President Trump's impeachment toward a historic vote by the full House next week. It's a very sad thing for our country, but... uh It seems to be very good for me politically. It's expected that Democrats have enough votes to impeach President Trump, but it doesn't mean they'll all vote that way. Jordan Phelps joining us on the Como Newsline. Jordan, reports of some Democrats who might actually break party lines. Absolutely. There are some moderate Democrats in districts where President Trump remains popular. So next week's impeachment vote is just not cut and dry for them. They could vote in favor of impeachment, and then that could end up costing them at the polls next year. Of course, members of Congress are up for election every two years. So they are very much on the ballot all the time. Let's talk about what Mitch McConnell said today and how that has some Democrats furious. Yeah. So Mitch McConnell basically signaling that he is already in lockstep with the White House when it comes to plotting out strategy for the Senate trial. That has raised some alarm bells among some Democrats who say that during the Clinton impeachment, they tried to keep some distance between themselves and the White House. But look, This is a situation where the senators will act as jurors, but this is not a traditional court of law. This is a political court of law. So I don't know that anybody really expected that the Republicans wouldn't be coordinating with the White House, but it is kind of striking just how transparent McConnell is being about it. Now, the president was wanting to bring out a bunch of witnesses. He wants that whistleblower. It sounds like McConnell and others want to reel him back and have it not be such a show. McConnell and a lot of top Republicans say there's just no appetite for having this drawn out dramatic trial in the Senate. And our sources in the White House tell us that top aides around the president have been warming to this idea. President Trump today said he's okay with a long trial, with a short trial. He's going to leave this up to Mitch McConnell. But I was also told by a source in the White House that, you know, this is a president who who likes to, you know, keep some surprises up his sleeves. I would stay tuned to see what the president might still have up his sleeve if he might try to make some announcement to at least cause some headlines and and cause a stir, even if he doesn't necessarily mean to make a show of things come January. This is a, a huge historic moment on Capitol Hill. Describe the atmosphere. Well, political rancor has really reached a fever pitch up here on Capitol Hill. We had these two days of markup hearings in the Judiciary Committee, uh, and things just really boiled over during the course of that markup process. But there's also a lot of fatigue up here on Capitol Hill. This impeachment inquiry seems to have been going on for many weeks. The facts haven't really changed. So people are going through the motions here, and there's just so much political partisanship that folks are really just tired. And I think just looking to get past this, get on to their holiday vacation, and then back in January for this move to the Senate trial. So there's a lot of political 
rancor, but there's also a lot of exhaustion. ABC's Jordan Phelps joining us from Washington. Thank you, Jordan. That's Kamala's Elisa Jaffe. Now to the politics of all of this. The House Judiciary Committee, as we've reported, has sent articles of impeachment to the full House. The vote is expected in the coming week. But is the outcome already determined? I had a chance to speak with ABC's Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl and Political Director Rick Klein. The impeachment proceedings continue on Capitol Hill, and, and it's pretty much a foregone conclusion the House will impeach the president. Where do things stand in the Senate? Or does it look like any Republicans are going to break ranks? I see no indication of any Republican breaking ranks on impeachment. doesn't mean there might not be one or two or three, uh, but I, I've, I, no, nobody publicly. But the one thing I will say, though, is there are, uh, there are a number of Republicans who take this process very seriously and want to see you know, a, a solemn duty to take an impeachment from the House and to have a trial. So I, I don't think it's the kind of thing where, you know, there had been some notion for some time that Republicans could immediately open the trial and call for a motion to dismiss. I do not think there would be 51 votes to do that. I think Republicans want to have at least some, some kind of a trial. It may not be a lengthy one, but some kind of a trial to hear this evidence. But no, at this point, I don't see any Republican defections and certainly not a two-thirds supermajority to remove the president. Yeah, I think the Democrats have basically given up on the idea they're going to convince Republicans, and I think that's one reason that you see them uh, picking up the pace a little bit and trying to make sure that they're they're moving ahead. They don't see a prospect of the votes changing. But as John said, uh, uh, unpredictable things can happen, and uh, it's possible that a Senate trial changes something. Do you think that this is just all for show? Well, I mean, everything in politics is all for show, but it, it seemed like from the very beginning the Senate was never going to get 67 people to vote to convict and remove move from office. Yeah, and I think I think that's probably right. Uh, look, but politics, the impeachment process is political by its nature. It's not a legal process. So uh, don't be shocked that politics play into this. Um, I do think that we're entering the year kind of knowing how the movie ends. That's ABC's political director Rick Klein, along with Chief White House correspondent Jonathan Carl. We have to take a quick break here on the Como Politicast, but when we come back, the FAA coming down hard on Boeing. We'll get you that, plus remembering Pete Combs on the way in just a moment. Information is power. Everything you need to know before you get to work. The Como Morning News on the Northwest's only all-news station. Como News 1000, FM 97.7, and ComoNews.com. Welcome back to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogelum. Also happening in the last week, the FBI Inspector General's report on the origins of the Mueller probe. And it's something that Republicans and certainly President Trump didn't like. Como's Manda Factor and Greg Herschel had a chance to speak with ABC's John Cohen about it. Revelations that the FBI committed serious errors in wiretapping a former Trump campaign aide have spurred bipartisan calls for change to the government's surveillance powers. John Cohen has had a long career in that part of our government. He's an ABC News consultant now, but he was the acting undersecretary for intelligence at the Department of Homeland Security. And John's with us right now. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. Nice to be with you. What are your thoughts as you see this alleged uh, wrongdoing come out in this report? 
Well, any time that an organization like the Inspector General uh, uncovers uh, process issues or issue or activities or, or that can be or, or protocols that can be improved, that's a good thing. But I think it's really important that as we're talking about the IG report, we, we place it into proper context. Uh, after a multi-year investigation, uh, what in a review of millions of documents and interviews, and um, it, what the IG found is that the initiation of a counterintelligence case by the FBI. In to the Trump campaign was warranted based on the information at, that they had in, at the time. And what they also found is, and I think this will run counter to what a lot of us are hearing on TV through the political debate on this, is that the IG found there was no political bias in both the initiation of the investigation and how the investigation was conducted. So that's, those are important findings. But at the same time, the IG did find that as it relates specifically to the acquisition of uh, FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrant against Carter Page and the renewals of that, that there were processes that were not followed or that there were steps taken by the agents that the IG found troubling. So they made a, a number of recommendations on how the FBI can improve that process. Um, and in one case, uh, a junior attorney uh, who essentially lied to investigators uh, is going to be subject to disciplinary and possibly legal action. Do we have some specifics on any of those uh, recommended changes? That's actually a really interesting question. So, I mean, like everybody did sort of put go back into go back in time. So what was going on at that time is that uh, the FBI was, was beginning to get a, a large amount of information from a variety of sources, and uh, the foreign intelligence services, our intelligence community, other law enforcement sources, and it was telling us two things. It was telling us, one, the Russians were engaged in a major intelligence operation targeting the U.S., uh, and secondly, that there were persons associated with the Trump campaign um, who may have associations with those Russian entities and may actually be aiding them. So that's what led the FBI to open this investigation. Um, what the FBI chose to do at the time was to prevent this type of information associated with this investigation from leaking out. So they really closed, uh, created a closed circle. They, they, didn't they tried not to reduce the sharing of information about the investigation to even people at the Justice Department who should have been aware. And I think that's one area where the FBI needs to really go back and, and rethink about their strategy. I mean, in, in all fairness, the FISA process was not designed anticipating that the target of an counterintelligence investigation would be a presidential campaign. And I think decisions were made in sort of the heat of the investigation, in the, in the heat of the time, um, that if you go back and look at them, they probably weren't the best um, based on the circumstances. John, thanks for your insight into all of this. John Cohen, a former acting undersecretary for intelligence at the Department of Homeland Security. That's Como's Greg Herschel. Meanwhile, there have been two big developments surrounding the Boeing 737 MAX. Southwest Airlines gets millions from Boeing for the grounding of another troubled jet, and there was an eye-to-eye -eye meeting this week between the heads of Boeing and the FAA. We get more from ABC's Alex Stone. This was Steve Dixon and Dennis Mullenberg sitting down, talking face-to-face, -face, and we've learned from a couple of different sources that the FAA wanted to, to sit down with the, the top levels at Boeing because the FAA is concerned that, that Boeing is pursuing really an unrealistic return to service schedule that Boeing has now for months been saying by the end of the year, the MAX, they believe, will be back in the air, will be certified to fly again, that they're almost there, that, that the end is near, and the FAA is saying, whoa, Tap the brakes a little bit. 
that the FAA is worried about the perception that Boeing's public statements have been designed to force the FAA into taking quicker action. And the FAA made it clear today, we're told, to Mullenberg and, and to Boeing in general, that the FAA is deciding when the plane is safe to fly passengers. Boeing is not doing that in the past. Boeing made a lot of these decisions, and a lot was delegated to Boeing, but no longer. The FAA is saying that is in their hands. We got an email from an FAA official saying that the administrator wants to directly address the perception that some of Boeing's statements have been designed to, to force the FAA's hand, and that that's not going to happen any longer, that the FAA wants to help Boeing, wants to work with Boeing for a possible 2020 return to service for the MAX, but they're not going to give a date, and they're not saying that they're there yet or even close to there yet, and essentially they're saying, Boeing, uh, you know, be careful of what you say publicly. This is now in the FAA's hands. You have to wonder, Alex, if this meeting today was prompted by the heated testimony in Congress this week. Well, maybe some of it. And, and we heard yesterday from Steve Dixon, the, the new head of the, the FAA, who came from Delta Airlines, saying that, that they don't know when this plane is going to go back into service. He made it clear yesterday that despite what Boeing has been saying, that it's not going to be the end of this year. That, I mean, we've been hearing that for so long now from Boeing, probably September on that they expected it would be by December 31st. And uh, Dixon's saying, do the math on this whole thing. Look at it. They're not there yet. They've got a lot of work left to do, and it's not going to be by the end of this month. Other big development certainly is the fact that Boeing has pulled out the checkbook and uh, written the big one for at least one airline. What do we know about that? Yeah, in October, the pilots at Southwest sued Boeing, claiming that they had lost over $100 million worth of flying time that they weren't getting paid for because of all of the, the canceled flights. Now, uh, today, Southwest says that Boeing has agreed to compensate Southwest for at least a portion of the financial damages that the airline has had because of the grounding of the MAX. And we don't know it's all confidential, the, the full dollar amount, but Southwest says of the amount that Boeing is paying, that the airline is going to share about $125 million with employees. So it was something over that amount, it would seem. And that Southwest says it's still talking to Boeing about more compensation, so there could be more money coming. But this just shows you another facet of the amount that Boeing is going to have to pay out. This is Southwest. They've still got United and American that are going to be looking for compensation as well for money lost. Airlines all over the world are making these requests as well. This is a lot of money to make up for the canceled flights, for storing these planes, for pilots and flight attendants who aren't flying mechanics who aren't working on them there's a lot of money involved that's abc's alex stone we have to take another quick break but when we come back remembering pete combs when the como politicast continues in just a moment everything you missed while at work update and unwind on the way home the como afternoon news on the northwest's only all news station como news 1000 fm 97.7 and como news.com Welcome back to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Sad news this week that our friend and colleague Pete Combs passed away. Pete spent a few years as a reporter here at Como, and Charlie Hargert looks back at a remarkable man. 
At 6.30, I'm Pete Combs. That smooth delivery. You knew even in the worst of circumstances, Pete Combs would keep calm and put it in perspective. And some of these protesters, there is continued... Pete received an Edward R. Murrow Award for breaking news coverage during the May Day mayhem here in Seattle. Stand behind their banner facing police. <coughs> now you can hear... I've got some of that pepper spray in my throat. But of course, Pete was an accomplished reporter with a career spanning four decades, much of that time with WSB Radio in Atlanta, also covering the South for CBS News and later ABC. That means Pete got up close and personal with several hurricanes. It was indeed a dark and stormy night at the Spring Hill Suites in Port St. Lucie. As I drove up to the hotel late that Saturday afternoon, the very first thing I noticed was a man standing outside in the wind and rain wearing a tuxedo. His name, Kevin Green. See, he and his fiance were supposed to have been married at a hotel on Hutchinson Island. He had a love of aviation. One loves its history, its lines, the way it flies. But this love's not blind. Because it's expensive, number one, to fly. It uh, burns about 90 gallons of fuel an hour. But you can't live with it and you can't live without it. You sound an awful lot like a married man. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Absolutely. Like a marriage because for all its faults, Ron Alexander finds the DC-3 irresistible. Mm, Pete loved his family. His son lives here in the Seattle area, and Pete was so glad to live near him. And there's the woman he loved, his wife Karen. If you knew Pete Combs, you knew he was a good guy, but he was also the first to tell you he was married to the greatest woman. As Pete's battle with lung cancer became more dire, Karen would keep us friends and colleagues updated on Facebook. And when it became clear we were nearing the end of Pete's journey, so many people reminded Karen of stories Pete told them. The moment he knew he met the love of his life, how she was his rock, and how she made Pete want to be a better person. He loved his family, and he loved chasing the big story. While here at Como, he gave us the facts without sensationalizing the stories. With only the shirt on his back, he hit the road for the six-hour drive to Umpqua Community College in Oregon back in 2015. Umpqua Community College interim president Rita Cavett vows her school will find its footing again after a gunman opened fire. No one in this town saw it coming. It was a real shock. Then to Skagit County for the Burlington Mall shooting. This man ducked inside a doorway for cover. I hear one shot, two, three other people. Pete Combs in Smyrna. Flat one hash brown. Most area restaurants were closed long before the worst of this storm hit. But Waffle House number 154 is still dropping. Pete had an endearing quirk, at least to us guys. We weren't just colleagues. We weren't friends. Pete called us brother every single time. I look back on several text message exchanges recently. So many words of guidance and encouragement from him, most including the word brother. The cancer was relentless and he fought it hard. But three months after his diagnosis, Pete died at an Atlanta area hospice with his wife, Karen, at his side. Pete Combs, WSB. Pete Combs, ABC News. We're going to miss you, brother. Pete Combs, Como News. Pete will be missed. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Thank you for listening and have a good week.